welcome to the Biohacker's Guide for Women Only. You are listening to The Art of Becoming Wonder Woman. I am Jessica Fernandez-Cruz. And I am Yen B. Trung. Life extension, longevity, biotech, digital health technology, and prevention are all the fields of health that we've been working in for over 15 years. We've worked alongside world-renowned physicians, Nobel laureates, experts, and top biohackers. We were at the forefront of a lot of the science that is being used today for biohacking. Our mission is to bring to you all this knowledge and information and create a biohacking community for women. Join us today on our journey into biohacking our bodies. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome, Wonder Women. <laughs> Hello, everybody. How are we feeling today? Yemvi, good to see you again, as always. <laughs> good to see you too, Jessica. How are you? Here we are, ready to talk about a very nice, peaceful, and calm subject today. So I'm already in my PJs, getting ready to go to sleep. <laughs> So yes, the subject today, for me at least, it's a very important subject because I had trouble with that for a long time. And, you know, Yemvi and I feel that this is definitely something that that a lot of people relate to, and especially women, which is our difficulty sleeping, our difficulty, you know, having a regular sleep. Sometimes it's the difficulty falling asleep. Sometimes we wake up in the middle of the night. And what that does to us throughout the day and how it affects our our mood and the way we function. So sleep is really one of the most important factors for a strong biohacker optimized health version of ourselves. And we thought, you know, we need to bring this subject to our podcast and just have a whole episode on sleep. I wanted to do a little introduction on this, Yandy, if, if you don't mind, just because I was very lucky. It was in, when was that? In 2018, with the Fernandez Cruz Foundation, we had with us the Nobel Prize that Michael Young, who was awarded the Nobel Prize for discovering the genes of the biological clock. And this was very interesting because he spoke, of course, about the circadian rhythm and the biological clock and how the discovery of these genes, there's a gene that's called the period gene and another one that is the timeless gene. But the important thing about the, this discovery was that they were able to find the sleep disorders and syndromes that were the reason why a lot of people were struggling with sleep. So this was so important that a lot of people were able to solve their sleeping problems just because there was a genetic reason for this. And I want to say this just to start, because for people who are listening who might have trouble sleeping, you know, if you really have a serious problem and you feel like your insomnia is very chronic and you can't find a way of solving it, you might want to get the help of a physician and figure out, you know, is this probably part of my problem? And I also just wanted to point out something that many people forget is that we all carry a biological clock. And this is something that many beings in this planet have that make us very beautiful because we're connected to the earth and the 24-hour system in our lives of day and night. And it's something that is inside of us. So do you actually respect that in your lifestyle, in your daily life? And how does your life affect that rhythm? That would be for me the first question that, that I would want the people to just stop and think. How do you live regarding day and night? The light is your reference. And 
do you actually change your rhythms very often? Because that would be like a first thing to keep in mind. And, you know, just to give you an example, they did a study with plants was the very beginning before they discovered those genes in human beings, that these plants had a function where they would open during the day and close during the night. And they put them in a room. And in the room where there was no natural light, it was a dark room, they would still open and close. So this was the first reference they had to say there's something inside, genetic, that has this rhythm in itself. So just to start off to see a little bit the biology behind sleep and circadian rhythm and biological clock, which we all have heard about, I thought this was an interesting introduction to to put everybody in in focus where we're what we want to talk about, right? So I hand it over to you, Yembi, so that you can take it from here. She's the expert. I'm just giving an introduction. <laughs> I think my my interest really peaked when when you and I had a conversation and, and you mentioned that you were having, I wouldn't say difficulty sleeping at night, but possibly not sleeping at a normal time where you were, we, we said, maybe you're a night owl because of the chronotypes of morning larks and night owl. And so when, after that conversation, I, actually, I'm, I'm very interested in hearing w- where your sleep is now, but that got me to start looking even deeper into sleep from that conversation. And, and then I said, well, you know, and at that time as well as I was hacking my sleep and just seeing, because I was looking at flow state, seeing if this thought process of morning larks and night owl, for example, holds true, then where am I functioning my best throughout in the 24-hour cycle? When Where's my creativity? When can I tap in at my peak state, right? And so I started playing around with that. And, I, and I'm the type of person, once I start getting an idea, I start like digging deeper and deeper and I'll read like every book you can find on it. So what I, you know, from there, I said, well, let me put something together so I can help others. And that's where I put this guide together that has all the hacks for for sleeping that we can discuss at the end where I'm giving away to everybody. This is an amazing guide, honestly. Like when Yemvi sent this to me, I was like, wow, like this is exactly what I needed at this moment because you don't know what to do. You know, it's very frustrating. I just want to pause here for a moment. It's very frustrating when you have difficulty sleeping. I feel like that is one of the things where you're like very alone because it's in the middle of the night, everybody else is sleeping and there you are trying to sleep and it becomes a very frustrating moment where even when you wake up, you're like angry because you couldn't sleep or tired or it feels like so heavy that this is a very, very important issue, I feel, for the way we function. And also understanding how sleep is so important for our metabolic system, for the way our hormones work. I mean, it affects so many things. And therefore, this guide that you have put together is definitely something that I feel anybody who has any difficulty sleeping should read and try out. Like, i totally 100% think that this is one of the best things I've read on sleep until now. Awesome. Thank you. That's the goal is, is to give you guys, you know, hacks and quick tips to, to get you to sleeping. And then also the importance of REM sleep and deep sleep and the five uh, stages of sleep. Right. And so we spend a, a third of our life sleeping and the value to sleep is that all of the work to make us healthy to build our cognitive capabilities, our neurology, to our, our nerves, our hormones, everything as you express, 
is done during our sleep. Everything. That's when you grow your bones as a child. That's when, you know, everything is done in your sleep. And it's almost like a, a therapy period in our life is during sleep. And so early on, and I was a, I was a, a person of this where when you're a high achiever or when you're results oriented, you think that sleep is not necessary because there's that phrase, you know, you can sleep when you're dead. Right. And so, so you think that you're more productive when you're awake, but what happens is actually your productivity level is much lower than if you had the appropriate amount of sleep because you're working, you're, you're working on half an empty tank of gas. Really, the fuel is not there for you to fully be optimized and to, to move and to think. And so there's all the biochemistry and all the biology involved in understanding sleep. And the more research and the more I started really diving into it and the books I read on all of this is, and you know, with our last episode, I talked about Victus and how important it is for even our beauty and the longevity aspect. I mean, it is probably, I would say if I could put a percentage to the value of sleep for beauty and longevity for our skin and not just our health and, but living longer and disease states, I would say it's probably like 70% of the value that's needed in order for us to live a long, healthy, beautifully optimized life. And so when we think about sleep, you know, we can talk about the circadian rhythm. What What's your interest in, in the discussion today? Because we can touch on disease states. We can touch on the correlation. Actually, I, there's something I just kind of answered my own question for you. So, sorry, Jessica. Is, and this is something that I feel is very, very important <laughs> that everybody now point this out. And then maybe if, is the link between sleep and dementia and Alzheimer. And it's so important because right now, you know, we, we call Alzheimer a type three diabetes because it's a lifestyle related disease, right? And you can ask all the neurologists and all the physicians and researchers that are finding, trying uh, researching things. And if you look at the pharmaceutical companies, they've been trying to find a drug, just like they're trying to find a pill for type two diabetes. And we're saying, no, you actually just need to eat right and exercise. But the thing with Alzheimer's and dementia is once you get to that point, you can't reverse it the same way that you can with type 2 diabetes. You can only prevent it and slow it down, right? And that's part of lifestyle. And sleep is a big part of Alzheimer's. They're finding links between it because of, and I'll use one example, is there's a protein called beta amyloid protein that's found when a person, let's say, if you're deprived of sleep for just 24 hours, they find this protein that's present in your blood and a high level in your brain and your cerebral fluid. And they're finding the same protein in patients with Alzheimer's and dementia as well. And so what happens is when you sleep, there's a cleansing system in your brain called the glymphatic system that actually flushes out this toxic protein that really makes a lot of damage and contributes to Alzheimer's and dementia. But that, those are just some of the linkage that they're starting to find to really long-term diseases like Alzheimer's. And so that just from that one little perspective of how the importance of sleep is to the correlation of Alzheimer's and dementia, it's like something that I wanted to make sure everybody understood. Because once you get to that point, it's debilitating and it, it affects every person in your family, your friends, and not just you, you know. So I just wanted to bring that out. And so back to you, Jessica. <laughs> that is definitely one of, I, I love that you bring this up because, I mean, we could go into so many other 
diseases that are actually correlated with this as well, right? Because there are findings around cancer, there are, of course, and metabolic syndromes and diabetes, cardiovascular diseases, like, and that I, I can't really get into the depth of the science of, of this, but that has a lot to do with this discovery of the genes of the circadian rhythm, because these genes have a function as well. So when you break that function, this is where it all becomes the stability that we're always trying to work on when we work on our longevity, right? We want that balance. Every choice we make on, in our lifestyle is to maintain the balance inside our body. So the moment we break that balance, that's when we are starting to open gates that we don't want to open. And when I say open gates, I'm talking about triggering genes, you know, releasing hormones that we don't want to have. And all these things have an impact in our body that way. Now, sleep is one of the most balancing lifestyle choices that you can choose for your body. It brings back that balance. And what you said, you know, it flushes away, it cleanses, it is the way of getting rid of all the damage that you have done throughout the day to your body so that it can regenerate and come back to its stable and balanced position. So it's very important that we understand that so that we can also understand that sleep needs to have one of the most important positions in our lifestyle choices, right? And finding the, that time to sleep, which sounds so obvious, but I know so many people who don't do that, <laughs> is one of the number one choices that you need to make, right? Yeah, it, it is a priority. And it's not just, we can say the word sleep generally, but it's the quality of sleep because you have to go through the five stages of sleep, the REM, and the, the deep sleep cycles, right? And so because the, each of those stages have their own function for your brain and your body. And in REM, that's where it's almost like therapy. Imagine all your connectivity and network. When you, that's, that, REM is when you, you actually dream and you see like these fast uh, waves, brain waves during that period because your brain is activated and it's taking everything that you've learned throughout the day and, and the information that you learn. And then what it does during that period is that it makes connections to all the learnings previous. So if you have long-term memory that's stored in there and other memories, that's when you have start having these crazy dreams and you're like, whoa, this person that I knew from fifth grade all of a sudden showed up from out of nowhere because all these connectivities during the day you know, triggers a neural network effect of, of bringing information from before. It's your brain trying to make sense of things, just building and being creative during that period as well. And that's why when sometimes when you read a book or you sleep or something, or you watch a movie and then you fall asleep and you go into REM, you have some crazy sleep that just brings other pieces of your life into what you just watched or read right immediately. It's very interesting. And then um, the deep sleep stage is where actually you start storing short-term memory into long-term memory. And this is a piece where in Alzheimer patients, you can start, start seeing a decrease in, um, you can start seeing a decrease in deep sleep for Alzheimer's patients as they get older and older individual elderly, they, they start getting a lack of sleep and deep sleep as well. But um, the deep sleep is where all the regenerative and restorative sleep happens. And that's, those are the importance of these stages that you have to go through. And so the guy that I have, you know, it has hacks for you to fall asleep, but then hacks for you to stay asleep as well, because just because you fell asleep doesn't mean that you had quality sleep. And so going through the quality sleep is just as important, if anything more important. 
So why don't we go into some of those hacks, if you don't mind, because I think there are some things here that everybody can benefit from and that I found like very basic, simple, but also very important to do. So, you know, once you know these things, it's just so easy to incorporate them. And I thought that there's a page all about sleep hygiene, routines and factors that could be keeping you from staying asleep. And you have here a series of ideas that you bring here which I thought the best one for me is the bed partner disruption because <laughs> that one definitely a lot of people can relate to. Well, with that is if your partner is disrupting you, the partner is probably having a bad time sleeping him or herself as well. Think about that because that means both of you guys are not sleeping during that period, which is really bad for both of your helps and then your mood and everything that happens during the day. Mm-hmm. And the relationship as well. So I want to do that. Yes, 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 definitely. <laughs> so the one thing that I see in this page is all is very much related to breathing. That has to do with sleep apnea and the, the position you sleep in, right? So with sleep apnea, actually, there's a, <laughs> a correlation if you have a sleeping disorder like sleep apnea or insomnia, there is a correlation between that and Alzheimer's as well. And you're starting to see all these research that's starting to show up. And that's obviously because the fact that you're not sleeping and then there's this this evidence of this protein that's contributing to, you know, there's other evidence to Alzheimer and uh, stacking. Uh, it's never just one thing that, that causes something. It's always a stacking of things, right? And so when we talk about sleep apnea, a lot of times it's because you stop breathing. And the, the linkage between sleep apnea is usually it's some type of lifestyle related. You're gaining weight or maybe you had alcohol before, but it's always lifestyle related that contributes to sleep apnea where, you, you know, because the tissue in the back of your throat starts getting fattier as well. And so it starts, it starts disrupting your sleep as well. And it, and it causes snoring and all that, all those other things. And then regarding the sleeping position, what is the ideal position to sleep well? Do you know, do we have more information on this? It's very interesting because I, as much of the research I looked into, I even spoke to a chiropractor, a functional chiropractor on Clubhouse. And I asked that question and I said, you know, is there a certain elevation? Because if you speak to some biohackers, there's a degree that your neck should be elevated and your like, for example, your brain should be a little bit higher above your chest so be, to alleviate pressure from the brain. So that's a different a topic, but it opens up the air passage so that you can breathe and and eliminate the snoring and, and et cetera. When I spoke to the chi functional chiropractor, she said, well, actually, you know, there isn't really a sleeping where it's better for sleep. If you really think about it, going back to the hunters and gatherers, we were sleeping on the floor, on the ground, wherever we could pile up leaves and everything like that, you know? And so there's different school of thoughts on elevation of the neck and the body. If it's better to sleep on their side or better on your back. I've read more that sleeping on your back can cause more sleep disruption because it stops the flow of oxygen. Not necessarily stops it, but it does interrupt to a certain level. And there's so many stacking thoughts around that, that it could be because you, you've gained weight. It could be because you ate something right before that slowed it down, your breathing down. There's all these other concepts. So I wouldn't put my hat on the position of sleep. But although, you know, for example, when my husband snores, I, I go and he's on his back, it's always on his back. And I go slap his shoulder 
or his back and I go turn over and he'll turn on his side and the snore will stop, you know? And for me, it's more of a disruption for me than probably for him because although he's probably having micro disruption or that we don't know about throughout the whole entire sleep cycle that we're not aware of. And so there are hacks like the aura ring that you can actually purchase and wear. And that will tell you if you're having these little disruptions throughout the night, the micro disruptions throughout the night. And then there's this, I think also a very important one to, to recognize because this one can be addressed quickly if you do find the help of, of a physician, which is checking your hormones, right? The hormone imbalance and how that can affect your sleep. Just menopause itself is a big <laughs> disruption for lifestyle and sleep, right? Because your body is hotter, you have hot flashes. And one of the key things to having a good night's sleep and falling asleep is in a cool environment and your body temperature starts to drop when you sleep as well. And so when you're going through menopause, your body temperature starts to fluctuate. And that's why you have these hot flashes and you can't sleep at night and, you know, with the, the changes in hormone. But then other hormone factors are like cortisol and melatonin, right? Those are the, the two hormones that almost dances with each other in a sense where when your cortisol is high, your melatonin can't elevate, right? Because what happens is, so I, I, I explain it very simply when it, it comes to cortisol and melatonin is that they share the same pathway. So if let's say you, you wake up in the middle of the night and you start having anxiety and stress and you're in a fight or flight mode, your melatonin can take that same pathway to help you fall asleep. So they share the same pathway. And when cortisol occupies that pathway, melatonin can kick in to help you fall back to sleep. Mm, this is very interesting. Okay. So this is where, you know, uh, working on our stress levels makes a whole difference on our sleep. This is, this is, I think, a very interesting point that you're making here that many of us don't understand because we just think that it's in our thought process that if we stop thinking about something, then this I'm going to fall asleep. But here there's a deeper aspect about it is that through that thought process, probably I activated this hormone that is now not allowing the hormone that I need to fall asleep to come and help me sleep. And therefore, this is why the routines of, you know, creating routines where you go to sleep and you calm down and you always bring happy thoughts before you fall asleep and so on have to do with this exactly, right? What are we awakening in our body with our thoughts? So this is, I, I love that you you bring this up. I just want to point a hack out to that point is one of the hacks for falling asleep and staying asleep is, you know, you, you have either your meditation, right? The breathing, um, you train your body to, to follow a certain pattern every single, so your body starts knowing that, oh, uh, you brush your teeth, you turn off the lights, you sit down, you meditate or, you know, clear your mind for five minutes. And then that those are steps and your body's being signaled that it's time for bed. But in a chronic, let's say um, a person that has anxiety or chronic stress state, one of the big things that, that I've learned across from all the specialists, sleep specialists, neurologists, is that a gratitude journal right before sleep seems to be one of the most effective hacks that you can do to have a good night's sleep. And it's it actually what it does when you write a, a gratitude journal right before bed, you have it on your nightstand, you write it. And it, what it does is it shows that you bring your mind to the present moment and the fact that you've achieved all these things, all these things have happened, right? And so you, what you've done is instead of thinking about things that may not happen or things that 
are stressful, you're you're actually signaling your mind to kind of go the other direction is I'm grateful for all these things that you already have, right? And it does signal the brain and specifically the prefrontal cortex. That's what activates the, a lot of the stress is because you're thinking, you're overthinking. That's where a lot of the stress starts to originate is the overthinking, right? But the gratitude lets you take all that information out of your head as well. And so when you write that journal, you end up having a very, very good night's sleep. Even when you wake up, it doesn't really disrupt the sleep. So that's one of the the easiest hacks without having to buy anything. And it gives you a, a very like sound night's sleep because it's out of the brain. I love it. So guys, this is super easy to do. I want everybody from today on every night, create a little gratitude journal and just sit with yourself right before going to sleep and write down everything you're grateful for. If you cannot do this, then I really don't know how to help you. (laughs) This is so simple and it's just something that we can all do, right? So just go for that. So the one thing that I thought was very interesting here and maybe would be nice to close our episode today, and you talk about this a lot, and I want you to share with us your story about your you hacking your sleep because I think this is very interesting. So this is the hack about find your chronotype. You say here, are you a night owl, a morning lark, lion, or bear? Our genes are programmed differently, and identifying which chronotype you are could be the biggest problem solved. What is this? Tell us a little bit more about the chronotype, because I think that if we can all identify our chronotype, this would help us so much. Right, right. And so depends on the school of thought, but I, I believe in this school of thought of chronotype of morning larks and night owls, right? And there are people that say, at night, that's when I get my best work done. And so if we we really think about it, and we look at the evolution of humans, we were all hunters and gatherers at one point, right? And we lived in a tribe, and we would go out to hunt, we would go out for food, there'll be morning and there'll be night, right? But during that period, in order to protect ourselves, we had to stagger our sleep, right? So there were people that would sleep at different times of the day, and evening in order to, you know, keep a watch out for for whatever may be intruders or whatnot. And then we were nomadic as well. And so there's all these things that contribute to the evolution of our of how we sleep. And so when, when we think about it, there are people that, you know, and and one of the examples they used, if you really want to link your genetics to to your sleep is look at your parents. Are your parents morning? or evening, because usually you follow that genetic of whether your your family is more morning larks or night owls as well. Uh, I'm, my parents were morning larks, 100%. I remember waking up to them talking in the kitchen every single morning, and they were already up. It was 6.30 in the morning having breakfast, right? And so to this day, that's who I am as well. And so so I, I started hacking my, my sleep to say, you know, there's 24 hours and we're so tied to this. We need to sleep from nine to seven or something like that. Right. Or nine to six or 10 to these eight hours. Before we get into that, what are the chronotypes? The very basic chronotypes, because it, if, if you talk to my, Dr. Michael Brewis, he breaks it down to lions and bears, there's like dolphins. He goes into very specific chronotypes that you and very detailed. But I'm going to be very general about it. Who says this? In case anybody wants to look this up, Dr. Michael Bruce, B R E U S. 
and he wrote a book on chronotype and he's, he's called the sleep doctor. That's his like nickname. And he writes a whole book on chronotype. And so when I, I started thinking about sleep and hacking sleep, I said, well, there's 24 hours. When do I function the best? right? Regardless of whether I'm a dolphin or a bear, when do I function the best? And thinking about my lifestyle, you know, the type of work that I, the, the, you know, I wrote this entire hack from the hours of 3.30 to 6.30 in the morning. And, you know, and so that's when I was able to like really think very deeply. And I found my peak state at, at that time. But what I also found was that physiologically, my body was not good for it. Even though I I was at peak state mentally, I could do that, but you know physically my body was not right for it, and so I had to find that balance. So I'm back to normal, you know, waking up at six in the morning, five o'clock in the morning instead of three thirty in the morning, and then diving right in into the day in a sense. But going back to to why we sleep from you know ten until six in the morning, for example, or nine until five is because of the industrial revolution. We were hunters and gatherers staggering our sleep for protective reasons. And at any point during that period as hunters and gatherers, we were all asleep for about four hours at one point in the 24 hour cycle, leaving us very vulnerable for just four hours of the day, right? And so if you think about it, because of the industrial revolution, what happens is now we're working from nine to five. And so we all have to accommodate this time period of what day and night is and what work entails us to do. And so for that reason, a lot of people are trying to adjust their chronotypes to the industrial revolution time cycle. And that's where we're starting to see, you know, difficulty falling asleep. There's other things stacking like, like lights, you know, where we're more exposed to blue lights now through our phones and our computers all day. So that light is interrupting our production of melatonin and signaling our body that's still daytime instead of it's time to go to bed. And so there's all these staggering Things. And but basically what I did was I, I spent that time really hacking chronotype and seeing where my where I would function the best. And I if I can choose the 330 to 630, I would, but physically my body wasn't allowing me to do that. So it's you know, that's part of hacking is like finding that sweet spot for you. But what I do know is that if I, you know, when you and I write this book, that 3.30 to 6.30, I'm going to spend, you know, a good, if I want to allocate two days out of the week to really focus on writing something and doing creative work, I'm going to do it during that time. That's awesome. I love it. And I love that you you went into that self-discovery journey, right? To say, okay, I'm going to try. I'm going to try different things and let's see what works best for me. I know for myself, although I, I do like the night very much, it's true that the more I stay up, the more difficult it is for me to sleep. So if I start getting into, although I like a little bit like what you're saying, only in the reverse, I am great because I'm laser focused at one o'clock in the morning and I can work well at that time and at midnight, you know, like if I'm awake at that time and I'm doing something, I'll totally get into it. But the problem I have there is I create a habit of becoming so awake that I then don't fall asleep well. And I notice that my body is not functioning well when I wake up, even though I sleep the six hours or that I might need. And I've realized that when I try to go to sleep before midnight, which I don't always accomplish, but I try to do, and I stick to that rhythm, waking up in the morning 
around 7 a.m. works, only I notice that I am tired. And this is something that I want to still fix. Like, I don't understand why I'm still tired if I've slept enough. There's something that I need to hack (laughs) because I know I can wake up not feeling tired. Well, it depends on whether you still have melatonin in your system. And there's another chemical called adenosine. So it's you have these receptors in the brain. And there's two factors. It's melatonin, your circadian rhythm, and then this chemical that actually produces during the day to make you tired and groggy and sleepy, right? So it's not just melatonin that plays in the biochemical factor of, of sleep. There's this other chemical in the body that in the brain that tells you, oh, it's time for night, nighttime as well. And it helps you fall asleep. And so when you drink caffeine, and I'll, I'll, and I'll, I'll tell you the, the, the importance of this chemical is that you have these receptors, they're adenosine receptors. And what happens is uh, when you drink caffeine, it blocks these receptors, right? And then all the adenosine starts piling up. And so the, when, when the caffeine blocks that, you think you're not sleeping. And that's how the, the, the mechanics of caffeine works is it blocks these receptors of the chemical that actually makes you sleepy. And so there's, there may still be leftovers when you're waking up at seven is a high level of adenosine and melatonin in the body that's saying you're not done yet, or that the adenosine is still like present in the body. And so that's when you take like a shot of coffee, right? You, you have some caffeine and all of a sudden you're awake because it blocks that receptor that makes you tired where the adenosine is attaching to it. And so that's something that you may want to think about is, you know, when do you have coffee, right? Because depending on the time of day that you have coffee, you may have this overpowering level of adenosine that's still piling up. And then once you fall asleep, it's because the caffeine all of a sudden, you know, releases, it's gone. And then, then you, you have a, a caffeine crash, they call it. And so there's all these, these thought around it on, on what could be contributing to it. But if you're still tired, it, it's either hormones or it's, it's a higher level of that, that chemical. That's awesome. And I'm sure a lot of people who are listening will relate to this. So uh, thank you. Thank you so much for that great tip. So I think it's time to wrap up. But uh, what would you say are three things if somebody is having a little bit of trouble sleeping to say, look, if I have to pick out of all these, there's 99 steps. What are the three things that I would give you as an advice? (laughs) The gratitude journal would be number one. Gratitude journal is number one to have deep sleep. The other is alcohol. We should drink alcohol? No. (laughs) No, you shouldn't because alcohol is a sedation. So it actually makes you fall asleep quicker, but then you have disruption, fragmented sleep. So what happens is you don't go through all the stages and you're having these little micro fragmented sleep cycles, right? And from that, that's why you actually end up being more tired the next morning as well, because your body is throughout the night is it's there's so micro of the disruption that you don't realize that you're being disrupted, but you're not going through, you know, a full sleep night of sleep. And so that could be a cause for why people are tired the next morning. And so if you're drinking right before bed and you're and you're like, oh, it's just a glass of wine, that could be a reason why you're you're tired the next morning. So alcohol is a big one. And then the other is a regular sleep schedule. That's the most important problem. Like those three are the big, big, the big thing is, is a regular sleep and wake schedule so that you train your body and your cells and your brain and your hormones to activate and kick in when it's supposed to and dissolve and deplete when it's supposed to. 
That's awesome. And that reminds me actually of the advice that I asked at the time when I had the chance to meet uh, Dr. Young. That was in, I had this terrible schedules because I was still flying a lot to the United States. So I constantly went to Europe, United States, and I had jet lag and my sleeping patterns were so difficult to maintain. And then he gave me an advice that has a lot to do with what you say. So it makes a lot of sense. In order to stay true to your circadian rhythm, he said two things that you always have to stay true to. Once you arrive to that new country where there's a different time zone and so on, you want to go outside and be with the light. Feel the light if it's night or if it's day. Just go outside is the first thing you need to do and spend an hour for a walk and just let that sink into your body. And the second one was the eating habits. So make sure that you regularly eat at the same time as the place that you're in. So instead of being hungry, because for example, if you come from Spain, you might be hungry at 2 a.m. in Miami, you have to wait and just make sure that you eat at breakfast at breakfast, lunch at lunch, and dinner at dinner. And then this advice went to say, this is actually something that everybody should do in their daily life. Maintain the rhythm, go outside and get the natural light, and also maintain those rhythms with, with your eating patterns as well. So this makes a lot of sense with what you bring in of, of being true to a schedule and maintaining that schedule is always very good for our bodies to maintain that healthy patterns. So Yemvi, this was amazing. Thank you so much. I think I'm going to have a great night's sleep tonight. <laughs> but let us know because we want to know, I'm sure that the people that are listening want to read this incredible 99 sleep hacks and Yemvi, you said that you were going to give it to our wonder women for free is that still the case yes so i'm going to put the um, the link on on the podcast on the summary and then you guys can just go and click on that link and then just type it i'll send an email t- with the link to you or the the guy to whoever has an interest and then you can take it from there ask questions join our Facebook group, ask questions, get involved, and then we're there to help. This is super exciting. You guys, honestly, I've seen the sleep hack guide, and I definitely think if this is something that you're concerned about, it's going to help you a lot. So reach out, and you'll find the link on the summary on our on our podcast, and also join our Facebook group, The Art of Becoming Wonder Woman. It's a private group. Just click on join, and we'll invite you to join, and you can share with us your thoughts and anything you want to uh, share or learn with us. Thank you so much, everybody. Yemvi, this was amazing. Looking forward to our next conversation. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you. You've been listening to The Art of Becoming Wonder Women, the podcast. Thank you for being a part of our community. If you haven't yet, join our private Facebook page and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join us next week for another Wonder Women conversation. Our podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any question you may have regarding a medical condition.